Hi listeners, and welcome to the True Crime Weekly Podcast, a podcast that is based in San Diego and hosted by me, Alina Trujillo, and my producer, Jose Fernandez. This is a podcast where I will be bringing you stories of murders, infamous cases, and unsolved mysteries. So Jose, before we get started in this week's episode, I just wanted to give our listeners a little bit of an update. If you would like to support the show, please check out our affiliates at truecrimeweeklypodcast.com forward slash support the show. You'll be able to see a list of companies that me and Jose have actually tried out and we've come to love, especially during this time of COVID-19 and quarantine and not being able to go out. We've come to really appreciate these companies. You pay nothing extra. Any commission we earn comes at no additional cost to you. And thanks to all of you for all your love and support. Now, let's jump into this week's episode. This week, I'm going to tell you about serial killer Andrew Ordialis. Andrew raped and murdered eight women before being apprehended. This is the story of his fifth victim and the only survivor, 19-year-old Jennifer Aspenson. After graduating high school, Andrew Urdielis joined the United States Marine Corps, and between 1984 and 1991, he was stationed at Camp Pendleton in California. Andrew completed his combat training, and he was trained as a radio operator at Marine Corps Base 29 Palms, and then served in Desert Storm. Andrew was smarter than your average serial killer. Andrew committed his first murder on the evening of January 18, 1986 at the Saddleback Community College campus in Mission Viejo. He stalked 23-year-old communication arts student Robin Bradley. Andrew stabbed her 41 times with a knife. And with no evidence of a robbery and no witnesses, the case went cold. And Andrew would go to kill again and again, leaving no evidence behind. Two years later, on July 17, 1988, he shot 29-year-old sex worker Julie McGee with a 45 ACP caliber pistol. Her body was found in a ditch near Cathedral City. You know, it's kind of odd because first stabbing, which is crazy, 41 times, but then to shoot somebody? Mm-hmm. Like you'd think it'd be like consistent, right? Like, I don't know, maybe yeah. that's kind of what you see off the same way that they would murder people, I mm-hmm. guess. So, two months later, Andrew struck in San Diego, killing 31-year-old sex worker Marianne Wells, whose body was found in September 25, 1988, by police in an abandoned warehouse. His fourth victim was 18-year-old Tammy Irwin. She was found on the streets of Palm Springs on April 17, 1989. Then, in 1991, Andrew, Andrew was honorably discharged from the Marine Corps and moved back to his parents' home in Chicago. On September 27, 1982, Andrew returned to California, and that's when Andrew would set his eyes on 19-year-old nursing assistant Jennifer Aspenson. On that day in September, Jennifer is freaking out because she had just missed her bus and she was worried that she would lose her job at a home for children with disabilities. Worried about losing her job, Jennifer accepted a ride from what seemed to be a kind stranger, Andrew. Jennifer found Andrew to be charming, so charming, by the way, that the next day she accepted another ride from him without hesitation. Really? Yeah. 
So Andrew drove her to her night shift and then invited her to have breakfast with him the following morning. But Jennifer was not interested. And like so many of us girls used to do or still do, Jennifer gave Andrew a fake number. And I remember your guys, so you don't know this, but like girls like back in the day, back before cell phones, like we used to always give out fake numbers. Mm-hmm. And then cell phones came into play. And I tried pulling that when I first got my first cell phone. And then it turned out that, you know, they called me right there and then and realized that my phone didn't. <laughs> so <I'm like>, oh. <laughs> What'd you do? <laughs> Ran away. <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. <laughs> so <laughs> when Jennifer finished her shift, the man was in his car outside and offered her a ride home, which she accepted. And I read in an article published by People Magazine called I Survived a Serial Killer that Jennifer didn't feel fear from Andrew because obviously he hadn't done anything to her the night before. You know, she had already taken a few rides. Um, But little did she know that this charming man was really a serial killer and that she would be the only one of his victims to survive. That was fantastic, Jose. You want to know what I just did? What'd you do? I just tried. I opened up, and you don't get any. I opened up the new wine that I received from Wine of the Month Club. So do you, Jose, want to treat yourself or someone special to great wines month after month? I would love to. Well, now you can with Wine of the Month Club. With Wine of the Month Club, you get three different bottles of rare international wine every month. You get to choose from all red, all white, or mixed. You can also choose to do a package every two months or three months if that's a better option for you. And every package ships with their monthly newsletter covering your selections and our listener favorites. Fun facts! We are a proud affiliate, which means if you go to truecrimeweeklypodcast.com, forward slash support the show and click on the wine of the club month link and sign up we will earn a commission you can support the show and get wine delivered to your door by using promo code holiday 15 to get 15 dollars off any four month club or you can use promo code holiday 20 for 20 dollars off any six months club which sounds like a win-win to me you get to stay home during this covid19 pandemic quarantine by yourself and your wines. And they ship free. What? Hey, Jose. So you know that during this pandemic, it could even be scary to go to the grocery store sometimes? Yeah, absolutely. Well, you can save yourself that trip using Instacart. Instacart delivers groceries in as fast as one hour. Instacart highlights deals to help you save money. They find everything you usually buy. You can get smart suggestions for new items. They even pick the freshest produce and they keep your eggs safe too. We are a proud affiliate of Instacart. So head over to truecrimeweeklypodcast.com forward slash support the show and click their link. So Jennifer described that after Andrew picked her up, they drove two blocks when all of a sudden Andrew exploded into anger over that fake phone number that she had given him. And over the next hours, in what could only be described as a nightmare, Andrew beat Jennifer, tied her hands, drove her into the California desert, forced her to perform sexual acts, 
and tried to rape her and then strangled her. Are you kidding? All that over a fake phone a number. A fake phone number. Yeah. You see why I ran away. And this guy, he literally, all of a sudden, he went the next day to pick her up. Mm-hmm. Well, it wasn't until the next day when he dropped her off at the night shift that he's mm-hmm. like, hey, can I have your phone number? Like, let's go out, have breakfast. Like, I'll pick you yeah. up after your shift. And that's when she gave him the fake phone number. Like, she didn't so think he was. Night, she didn't think that. Well, it was morning because she worked the graveyard shift. So he oh, dropped her off at night and then it was like early morning. Got it. She didn't think that at that time that, you know, he had any ill intentions. She just wasn't interested in him in that way. You know what right. I mean? Because if she felt that she wouldn't have taken that right, you know? Right. So as if performing sexual acts and her being tied and raped and strangled, as if that wasn't enough, Andrew would also toy with her. Andrew would open the door and tell Jennifer to get out. Yet just as she was about to run, he would yank her back by her hair and put her in the trunk. Oh, man. Yeah. So this guy, he was a real piece of work. Convinced that she was going to die. Jennifer summoned all her strength and courage, and Jennifer escaped from the trunk. Jennifer was able to open the trunk from the inside and escape. Oh, that's great. Yeah, she ran down the highway, naked from the waist down, and with her hands still bound, Andrew, obviously noticed, chased her down the highway with, like, this large knife. Yeah. Jennifer was able to flag down a truck that luckily stopped and picked her up. And Andrew then ran back to his vehicle and left the scene. Because at that point, he's like, yeah, what is he going to do? Like, oh, crap. Like, I got to I got to go, you know. So when Jennifer was rescued and first responders came to help, her mother doubted her story. So Jennifer's Jennifer's mother did not believe her. What did she think? Jennifer expected for not only her mother, but for people to show her love, compassion, and provide her with help. But unfortunately, that didn't happen. I read in an article by CV Weekly called Interview with a Survivor Mm -hmm. that her mother, Jennifer, after the attack, they quoted her saying, that's what you get for hitchhiking, end quote. That's what you get for hitchhiking. Yeah, so... You know, it's that whole victim shaming, like, oh, well, if you wouldn't have dressed like that or if you wouldn't have done that, that would have happened to you, which it's the worst thing ever. Like, she wasn't asking for it. She was she wasn't even hitchhiking. Like, the the guys just showed up. She missed the bus. She was worried. She was trying to be a responsible adult with a job. You know, like, I don't want to lose my job. I mean, it was a mistake. Obviously, obviously, nobody should ever do that. But come on. She just went through something really horrible. And you're going to go tell her, well, that's what you get. Yeah, that's what you get for hitchhiking. So the blame and betrayal further traumatized Jennifer, of course. And for years after the abduction, Jennifer feared her attacker would come after her again. Because think about it. He knew where she worked. Okay. Mm -hmm. And when she left. She was naked from the waist down. She didn't worry about like, oh, my God, my purse. Let me go back and get my... Like, she ran out. So, obviously, what did she leave behind? Her driver's license, her purse, like, everything that if he wanted to, it's like, now I know where you live. I know where you work. I can come back and finish the job. Yeah. So, she's fearful that Andrew will come back. must be terrified. Mm -hmm. Because, I mean, what are you going to do? 
have cops, hey, can you drop by and check it out? I mean, that only can go for so long, you know? Right. That's terrible. Yeah, especially you'd because... you think that she's going to be a target. Right, yeah. And I feel like back then, again, I hate to say it, but even if the mom is saying, well, that's what you get for hitchhiking, how many more people thought that way? You know? Yeah, maybe. So, I, I don't know. I mean, that just seems ridiculous. Oh, yeah, for sure. So, if I don't have my license, oh, you know what happened? They wouldn't know where I live. Just saying. Just saying. I also don't think that you would be able to find your way out of the trunk. So then you'd be... I wouldn't be able to find my way out of the trunk? (laughs) No. (laughs) No confidence whatsoever. (laughs) But, okay, so between 1986 and 1996... Andrew's killing spree spanned from Illinois to California. And during that time, Andrew attacked and tortured nine women, leaving Mm. Jennifer Aspenson as the only survivor. But no one would connect the murders until 1997, when Chicago police received a tip that a sex worker declined a client's request to handcuff her, put her in the back of his trunk, and drive out to a local lake. So the sex worker reported this like, hey, I just had somebody that was trying to handcuff me, throw me in the back of the trunk. And his whole thing was, we'll just drive to the lake and then we'll, you know, finish the deal there. I try to hand her a shovel so she can dig her own grave too right? or what? Yeah. It's crazy. So the bodies of three other women had been discovered in the lake previously, all killed with the same gun and all were unsolved. Mm, see, now we have a pattern. Mm hmm. This was just the break authorities needed. That client, quote unquote, obviously, if you didn't crack this, Jose, it was Andrew Ordialis. And the gun used in the murders belonged, obviously, to him. So it was registered to him. Right. So when Chicago detectives brought 32-year-old Andrew Ordialis in for questioning, they were in for a shock. Andrew declined all offers for a lawyer, then very matter-of-factly confessed to eight unsolved murders in Illinois and California, including Robin Bradley and the attack on Jennifer Aspenson. Really? Yeah. So for hours, he recounted details of the killings from clothing to the conversations that he had with his victims. Like, he still recalled everything. So what do you think drives serial killers to confess like that? Especially him. I mean, I know it's kind of odd. Sometimes they don't. Sometimes they do. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's for, you know... The attention. A, a purpose. You think that's what it is? Attention? I mean, maybe he didn't lawyer up. He wasn't trying to get a deal bargain. You know, I'll tell you all of this if, you know, you give me a lesser sentence. It didn't seem like he did any of that. So, yeah, I mean, maybe it could have been for attention. I don't. I don't know. Yeah, because a lot of the times when they do confess like that, uh-huh. it I almost feel like it's always like, tell you what, I'll help you unsolve five of your unsolved or cold cases. I mean, and in return, I want this. Yeah, like Sam Little. Yeah, to get to a prison that's not as hot as this one. <laughs> yeah, and smaller. Yeah, and, you know. So they'll get something. They bribed out of it. him with barbecue. Like you can have barbecue every now and then. Mm-hmm. And, 
So, 15 years after her attack, Jennifer Aspenson, the sole survivor of serial killer Andrew Ordealis, faced him in a Chicago court speaking not only for herself, but for the eight other women whose life he had taken. And get this, when police officers went to Jennifer to tell her, like, hey, we got your attacker, and told her, like, you weren't the only one, there was other victims... She was like, great, let me talk to them. What are their names? Like, she wanted to connect with them. And they're like, no, 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 you don't get it. You're the only one that made it out alive. And that, like, I read an article that, like, was so, like, obviously, she was devastated. She couldn't believe she was the only one to survive. And she also, that, like, empowered her even more to face him in court and speak out not only for herself, but for all those other victims and she was the only survivor yeah, she a, felt like it was her job to speak up it's a brave thing to do Imagine yeah very how, much, how many years of terror that she had to deal with thinking that this guy's gonna show up and try to kill me mm-hmm. i mean it's yes. just a matter of time i mean even if you gotta think i mean it had to be on his mind it had to be on his mind i know i wonder that i didn't read anything even years about later. that i know i didn't i don't think i read anything about that i don't recall i feel like that would have been something you know? Worth mentioning, but I don't. I mean, yeah. I, mean, he had I know. To be th- pissed. Maybe about he that. just got. Maybe he was like got scared and just got rid of everything. Like nothing to see here. It wasn't me. I've never met her. I don't know what you're talking about. But you then, know? yeah, I, I get know. that too. But then it makes me think he confessed everything. Yeah. Well, what? he even confessed to her, like exactly. about about her. Like I know she got away, or I yeah. let her get away. Who you know? Who knows what the story was. So a jury convicted um, Andrew and sentenced him to death, making the end of his deadly spree. Then on November 2nd, 2018, at around 11.15, Andrew was found unresponsive in his cell in San Quentin State Prison. Andrew was alone in his cell, and prison officials said that the apparent cause of death was suicide. Andrew was 54 years old. So even though he didn't get, you know, the death penalty, he did end up dying in prison. And as the only surviving victim of serial killer Andrew Urdielis, Jennifer knows firsthand the aftermath of living through a life-threatening experience. And she continues to be an advocate for the victims who cannot speak for themselves and continues to speak on behalf of mental health awareness as well. Jennifer has been diagnosed with PTSD, OCD, ADHD, bipolar disorder, depression, and anxiety, and she keeps on fighting for all this. She's living her life as normal as she can, and through forgiveness and self-love, Jennifer has regained control of her life and has learned to accept and love herself as she is. And Jennifer also wrote a book named The Girl in the Treehouse, where she describes the abusive, chaotic, and dysfunctional upbringing and escape from the serial killer, Andrew Dialis. And, you know, once again, here's a survivor story where she is a complete badass and she took lemon that life gave her and made it into lemonade, you know? Yeah, she took the, the chance of, you know, choosing to escape that trunk. Right. Because, you know, we see a lot of stories, a lot of these, when you say stories, I mean, in reality, these are real 
people mm-hmm. and you see that happen and then where the opportunity that could have been taken it wasn't taken out of right. fear of course because yeah. you don't know what's gonna happen yeah and she did it and luckily it worked out for her luckily there was that truck that was able to save her that stopped that, because yeah, how many times have we seen that too where exactly. people do escape and people out of fear or i don't want to get involved like i don't know what's going on they won't stop and it's like that happens so much right and yeah. some of like the most horrible acts that could happen and it's like nope i didn't see anything so yeah luckily they stopped and were able to save her yeah and like i said she's just she's one badass survivor and i'm glad that she is speaking up as a victim and as a survivor and give you know that power back to all those other victims that are out there that are maybe blaming themselves and I know that every week I try to bring you a open case from the San Diego Crime Stoppers. But this week, I want to tell you about one of the FBI's 10 most wanted fugitives. His name is Arnaldo Jimenez. Arnaldo Jimenez is wanted for allegedly killing his wife on May 12, 2012. The day after their wedding, he allegedly stabbed his wife to death in his black four-door 2006 Maserati. Then allegedly he dragged her body into the bathtub of her apartment in Burbank, Illinois. Jimenez was charged with first degree murder by the Circuit Court of Cook County, Illinois, and a state warrant was issued for his arrest on May 15, 2012. Jimenez may have fled to Durango, Mexico, specifically in the area of Santiago Papas. He may also frequent Reynosa, Mexico. He previously resided in Chicago, Illinois, and the FBI is offering a reward up to $100,000 for information leading up to the arrest of Arnaldo Jimenez. If you have any information concerning Arnaldo Jimenez, please call 1-800-CALL-FBI or contact your nearest American embassy or consulate. He's considered armed and dangerous. If you want to look at pictures and want more information on the cases we cover, you can head over to truecrimeweeklypodcast.com. You can also follow us on Instagram at Podcast True Crime Weekly. And don't forget to support the show at truecrimeweeklypodcast.com forward slash support the show. And I would truly love it and appreciate it if you would leave a five-star review and subscribe onto Apple Podcasts. The only way that people find out about us is through subscribers and reviews. Thanks for listening.